Welcome to the first inning of the Baseball Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Michael Cotton. This is the Baseball History Podcast, where I search for answers to questions about baseball and then dive right into the ridiculous rabbit holes that almost every baseball question creates. So last night, I was thinking about the guy who invented baseball, so I thought I would check out Abner Doubleday. Some of you heard that, and it sounded fine. Others just spit their coffee out all over their dashboards because Abner Doubleday did not invent baseball. And now all the people who thought Doubleday was the inventor of baseball have spit their coffee out all over their dashboards. And since we've all finished our coffee, let's get started. Take one. So I started by looking up Abner Doubleday as the inventor of baseball, and I found out about an argument between Henry Chadwick and Albert Spalding in 1903. Who are these guys? Well, let's head down that rabbit hole. Henry Chadwick was the first and most influential baseball writer in the history of the game. He was originally from Exeter, England, and was working for the New York Times as a sports reporter when he saw his first baseball game between the New York Gothams and the New York Eagles. He fell in love with the action and the speed of the game and immediately started writing about it for the paper. In order to try and explain what was going on in the game in a neat and concise manner, Chadwick invented the scorecard and the box score. In a scorecard, he created the numbering system we still use today for the defensive baseball positions, one through nine, pitcher to right fielder. In the box score, he created statistics like ERA and batting average. While things have changed over the years, much of what he created is still with us 150 years later. Chadwick was so well-respected, he sat on many rules committees in the early days of baseball and even created rules. One big rule that is attributed to Chadwick is that a player has to catch the ball on the fly in order to get an out. Before this, there was a one-bounce rule, which actually kind of makes sense when you remember they didn't have baseball gloves back then. Some have called him the father of the game, due to all the work he did to promote the game. He was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1938, and although he is technically in as an executive, he is the only Hall of Fame member that was a sports writer. Now, let's get to know the other half of this disagreement. Albert Spalding. Albert Spalding played baseball professionally from 1871 to 1878 and was known for being one of the first players to wear a baseball glove, which would have given him an advantage with that pop fly rule that Chadwick had invented. Beyond being an advantage on the field, the reason Spalding wore a glove was probably because in 1874, he and his brother opened Spalding's sporting goods stores and they were selling things like baseball glove. In addition to being owner of a fledgling sporting goods empire, when Spalding retired from playing, he became the president and part owner of the Chicago White Stockings, who would later be called the Cubs. In 1888, Spalding attended a dinner where A.G. Mills was speaking to a large group of influential people, including Mark Twain and Theodore Roosevelt. His speech was all about how baseball was invented by Americans for Americans and not from English origins. When it came to baseball, Mills wanted to make sure that people understood it was America first, and a number of times the crowd started chanting, No rounders! No rounders! As Mills was speaking, Spalding saw how incensed the crowd was and began using that energy as a marketing tool to promote baseball as an all-American game, which also helped his sporting goods stores. 
Lots of people had been arguing the origin of baseball for years, but it all came to a head when both Chadwick and Spalding wrote articles in the Spalding Baseball Guide. Yes, the Spalding Baseball Guide was a magazine dedicated to baseball and owned by Albert Spalding. He had hired the most influential baseball writer of all time to be his editor. This was working out well until Chadwick wrote a story in 1903 about how baseball had evolved from rounders, a game that Chadwick had played as a child. His article traced the origins of the game to rounders, showing how the rules evolved into baseball. Spalding, being an America baseball first guy, and also the owner of the magazine, wrote a rebuttal to Chadwick's story, claiming that baseball was a completely American sport with no ties to any English games. He had no proof in this claim, but because he was able to publish his own article next to Chadwick's, it gave his opinion the same legitimacy as Chadwick's actual researched article. This reignited the long-standing debate over the origin of baseball. Spalding decided that a commission should look into the origins of baseball and that whatever they found as the origin would be the final word on the subject. You would assume the task would be a researched, scientific examination of facts and historical texts. But you would be wrong. Instead, Spalding decided the best way to figure this out was to crowdsource the answer. Yes, he basically created his version of a Twitter poll in 1905, which meant that Spalding reached out to the citizens of the U.S. through his magazine and several newspapers to see if anyone knew the answer to who invented baseball. And like a Twitter poll, the results were dubious. Before we head down that rabbit hole, let's take a quick break. This is where I would have commercials if I had actual funding and distribution and some large conglomerate had purchased this show for their network of podcasts. Unfortunately, I have none of these things. This is an independent podcast, and if you like this, maybe you can check out my website, IndiePodReport.com, to find other independent podcasts. I am trying to create lists of independent podcasts that have a harder time being found. You may find your next favorite podcast. Well, that's all for now. Let's head back down the rabbit hole. Albert Spalding put together a commission of seven men led by A.G. Mills. You may remember him as the same guy that was giving that speech back in 1888 where he was already arguing for America baseball first. The commission was formed in 1905 with the directive to examine any evidence that came in about the invention of baseball, and I'm sure Mills was able to put aside any agendas or bias he might have had on the subject just to get to the truth. This is when Abner enters the story. Oh, wait, not that Abner. This was a guy named Abner Graves, and we are down another rabbit hole. Abner Graves was a miner from Denver, Colorado. He found out about the search for the one true origin of baseball and wrote a letter claiming he knew who invented baseball, where it was invented, and when it was invented. It was like the baseball version of a game of Clue. Although Abner Graves was a surprise additional Abner in this story, this Abner does get us to the Abner that we were looking for. According to Abner Graves, his friend and schoolmate, Abner Doubleday, invented baseball in 1839 in Cooperstown, New York. 
He said he was there when Doubleday sketched out the positions and the first rules to the game. The Mills Commission loved it. Abner Doubleday was an American war hero, and he had invented the game in an idyllic little town in New York. It was the exact type of narrative they were looking for. They loved the story so much, they didn't even do any research to see if it was possible. If they had taken a moment to check some facts, they would have realized that Abner Graves might not be the most concrete of sources. The first problem was that Abner Graves claimed that Doubleday was his childhood friend and they went to school together in 1839. In 1839, Abner Graves would have been five years old and Abner Doubleday was at West Point. Unless Graves was the most gifted five-year-old ever, I don't think he was at school with Doubleday. West Point is about 150 miles from Cooperstown. In 1839, the travel time between West Point and Cooperstown would have been days or even weeks. So it's not even plausible that maybe Doubleday had taken a quick trip over there, invented the game for some five-year-olds, and then cruised back to school. Those two things might have made the commission question the veracity of Abner Graves' story. But hey, it was 1907, and they didn't have the internet, and Doubleday was already dead. So maybe it was just too hard to fact-check some of this stuff. If only they could have asked someone who knew Doubleday if this could have been true. Well, that might have changed everything. Oh, wait. A.G. Mills was Abner Doubleday's friend. Funny that Doubleday had never told Mills, a baseball enthusiast who gives speeches on the subject, that he, Abner Doubleday, had invented the game his friend was so interested in. In fact, Doubleday had never mentioned it at all. Despite this, on December 30th, 1907, A.G. Mills wrote his statement declaring Abner Doubleday the father of baseball and Cooperstown as its birthplace, based upon the letter from Abner Graves. The Graves story about Abner Doubleday would be the undisputed word on the situation until a man named Stephen C. Clark decided to build a tourist attraction to help save Cooperstown from the struggles of the Depression. And now we are down another rabbit hole. Clark decided to build a baseball museum in Cooperstown to celebrate the birthplace of baseball. The Baseball Hall of Fame was established in 1936, with the building itself opening its doors in 1939. Both Chadwick and Spalding were inducted posthumously in 1938 and 1939, respectively. Clark built the Baseball Hall of Fame as both a monument to baseball, but also to Doubleday. So it is ironic that his creation would ultimately bring to light the fallacy of the story. With the Baseball Hall of Fame opened in Cooperstown, the story of Abner Doubleday was brought to public attention again. It was now being seen by thousands of people every year. With the attention from the Baseball Hall of Fame, this story came under scrutiny in the 1940s. Historians soon determined that Doubleday had not, in fact, invented baseball in Cooperstown. There were arguments made that other people had invented baseball, but everyone agreed that Abner Doubleday was not the guy. It is generally understood now that baseball evolved from rounders and that there were many people who helped make it the sport we all love today. Despite these findings, the Doubleday-Cooperstown myth is still believed by many people well into the 21st century. 
What we know is that a rich white guy claimed that factual reporting was fake news, so he created alternative facts to promote an America First misinformation campaign that many people still believe, despite it having been completely disproven. Man, things were so weird back then, right? So after I crawled out of that rabbit hole, I was still wondering who Abner Doubleday really was. More about that after the break. As I said before, I have no sponsors, but I do have a website called IndiePodReport.com with lists of independent podcasts from all over the world. In a world where podcasts have become commodities, it's hard to find the independent shows out there being produced by people with no corporate backing like me. I'm just trying to help them out by giving people a place to find their next favorite independent podcast. So go to IndiePodReport.com as soon as this show is over. If Abner Doubleday wasn't the inventor of baseball, who was he? It's time to head into our next baseball rabbit hole. It turns out he is still somewhat famous, even if he didn't invent baseball. After West Point, he fought in the Mexican-American War as the commander of a supply depot deep in Mexican territory. Later, he fought in the Third Seminole War in Florida, which was part of the Indian Removal Act and the Trail of Tears. But fighting to preserve American territory from the people who had already been living there is not why he is notable. He's actually notable because of his role in the Civil War. Captain Doubleday was stationed in South Carolina when South Carolina became the first state to commit treason and secede from the United States. He was actually in Fort Sumter when the Southern militias laid siege to the fort and eventually attacked on April 12, 1861. Captain Doubleday was in command when the South attacked and ordered the first shots fired by Union forces in an effort to defend themselves. So, the guy is famous for being in a place that he wasn't, but isn't widely known for being in the place that he actually was, which was the beginning of the Civil War. Doubleday survived Fort Sumter and took part in the Second Battle of Bull Run, the Battle of Antietam, and in the Battle of Fredericksburg. His last major battle was in Gettysburg. At Gettysburg, he didn't just fight. Doubleday took over command of I-Corps after their Major General Reynolds was killed. His unit fought against a much larger force until they were finally defeated. He was relieved of I-Corps command, but he remained in Gettysburg as a division commander until finally being forced from battle with shrapnel in his neck a couple days later. He was stationed in Washington, D.C. for the remainder of the war and eventually promoted to full colonel. When the war was over, Colonel Doubleday was stationed in New York where he continued to work on behalf of black citizens in the Bureau of Freedmen, Refugees, and Abandoned Lands, helping them transition from their life of slavery to being free. Finished his career in the Army as the commander of an all-black unit in Texas. Doubleday eventually retired to New York and took up a position as the president of the Theosophical Society studying spiritualism and Eastern philosophy. <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? Yeah, me neither. He sounds like he would have been a pretty interesting guy. Colonel Doubleday died in 1898, and at the time of his death, there was nothing that ever linked him to the game of baseball. As far as anybody knows, he didn't even play the game, as he wasn't a big fan of athletics. Time magazine once wrote, The world will little note nor long remember what Doubleday did at Gettysburg. 
but it can never forget what he did at Cooperstown. Sadly, that has actually been the case. But the baseball rabbit hole knows the truth, and now you do too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Baseball Rabbit Hole and subscribe at whatever podcast service you like best. I'll be back with another trip down a baseball rabbit hole soon. You're out! The Baseball Rabbit Hole is written, produced, and edited by me, Michael Cotton. If you have a rabbit hole you would like me to explore, or you just want to tell me how much you love the show, you can reach me at cotton9476 at protonmail.com. And don't forget to check out IndiePodReport.com to find your next favorite independent podcast. Thank you.